morning, everyone. What we'll, uh, we're going to do is go through a number of PowerPoints and uh, different presentations from, uh, from different teams that have been to on different mission trips. And, uh, um, and also we have uh, Jake and Amanda here as well that, uh, uh, from, from Turvo as well to present. And, of course, they have a presentation this afternoon as well. To, so to start off with is from uh, in Papua New Guinea, uh, Vic and Elsie Schlatter, they're, uh, they're going to be getting here late tonight, and uh, they've asked me to uh, just share a little bit of what they're working on. Um, so they're basically just expressing their uh, uh, appreciation um, for uh, the love and support that's come from Canada and the U.S. over the past years. Our brethren have asked that you would not forget them and now, now and to continue to part with, partner with them. Um, so some of the teaching and evangelism. The Good News Christian Training School. The school continues to teach basic skills and Bible studies and have a new intake of students each year. They're very grateful for the assistance of the ACCMBC and ACCF has given with student fees. So some of the uh, some of the dormitories that uh, uh, they consider as uh, temporary buildings. The literacy, they're learning to read God's word in their own language, which many of us are aware of their literacy program. The old mission car that used to be used by the Schlatters, uh, it's, it's under repair. It needs, it needs some help now. So in, in January, they had a, a, a meeting with leadership. At this meeting, they discussed the world financial crisis, and that has become more difficult for others to give to uh, the Papua New Guinea ministry. We encourage them to trust the Lord who can supply all their needs and to look to him for wisdom in ways to become more financially independent. This is a picture of, from their meeting time. So some of their specific needs, the literacy program to continue, uh, as you can see, the vehicle repair needed, um, goodness, Christian church training, school support, and month-by-month -month support for basic operation. Support uh, given uh, can be given through the uh, through the foundation and. Uh, through the ACCMBC, it's done through child sponsorship, uh, or actually school bursaries, sorry. Next, we have Tecate, Mexico, and uh, Rick's going to go through that. I'm sure most of us uh, have heard of Tecate. Some of us may have been there, um, as you've probably heard uh, they're working on building a new sanctuary. The uh, old one is uh, a little bit undersized. This one is planned to be a little bit oversized. Um, they have, for VBS, hundreds of kids that come, and so their uh, existing facilities are very crowded. From what I've seen, um, 
most of the membership there does not have um, a lot of construction experience, um, trade-related stuff, um, but they're willing to help with what they can do. So uh, there's definite benefits of, of people with skills to, uh, to go and help them um, if the opportunity is available. As well, they don't seem to have a lot of means of, uh, of making extra money to help really fund a project like this. Um, it's uh, fairly big for, for them, and so, of course, they appreciate uh, the funding to, uh, to facilitate uh, the project. Um, as you can see by uh, some of the pictures here, a lot of volunteers. Um, here they're actually insulating and doing drywall. That was just a few weeks ago. Um, again, more drywall on the walls and the ceilings. Uh, this was earlier on. These pictures are a little bit about order. Um, Mexico uh, is not the ideal place to, uh, to build compared to what we're used to in North America. Um, material is hard to come by in Mexico, very expensive, and uh, some things you, we take for granted are not even available there um, practically. So here, this is back in March, we're actually making trusses, so we had to make all the, all the roof trusses, as you can see, stacked up in, on the right-hand side a little bit. Um, so we had uh, dozens of volunteers helping nail all the plates and, uh, and do things like that. Setting the trusses, fortunately we had a crane. Uh, that was kind of a last minute arrangement, otherwise they were gonna go up the hard way. Um, but fortunately, uh, in a matter of uh, just over a week, we managed to build all the trusses and set them all and actually have the roof sheeted and almost shingled. So it, uh, it went very well. Again, more insulating and drywall. This uh, building uh, was actually built a little better perhaps than their average building, um, meaning it has insulation and even air conditioning since in the summers it gets very hot, uh, let alone having a few hundred people in an enclosed building. Um, so some of those things have been roughed in now rather than trying to add later because uh, it is much more practical to do up front. So again, uh, part of the week in February where uh, this, you know, the stucco is being put on the outside, the canopy up front is, uh, is being built, the posts are being put up, and the uh, roof uh, is almost ready for sheeting there. So. One more drywall picture. This is the looking in the right-hand corner of the sanctuary. So you can see the stage area, the plywood steps, the baptismal tub uh, partially roughed in there, and that's a change room in the corner. And this is a shot as of, uh, I believe, last week or the week before. This is one of the street side views um, where the exterior is uh, pretty much finished. And uh, what's left basically is the interior work. Um, they need help with... Uh, the flooring and the painting and all the finishing things that uh, that come with uh, finishing off a building. So if anyone feels uh, they have something to contribute financially or uh, even time-wise, um, I'm sure they would be happy to, uh, to accommodate you. Thank you. Quick update on Redemption Ranch from last year as I was beginning to put the slides together and go over what has happened since the presentation that we did last year. It was just amazing to see what God has done and the prayers he's answered. Um, and just to, as Jake was asking, because he had never, didn't know much about Redemption Ranch, for those that haven't heard about it yet, um, basically we rescue abused, abandoned, sick horses, rehabilitate them, and use them to work with children that are coming from different backgrounds or struggling through difficult situations in life, um, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. 
one of the greatest answers to God, of God to our prayers was would to be able to start building some of the projects that we had around. And, and my boss had a, a grandfather um, who had a barn on his property that wanted it taken down. And he said, as long as you take it down, the wood's yours for free. Um, so we got a whack load of wood and had a whole bunch of work teams and people coming up and helping us out. And just a couple weeks before camp, uh, when the final teardown came, and you, those of you who are on Facebook saw that, uh, back in October, um, we had a work team come out, about 50, 60 people from all over. It was fantastic. It was a, a great day, a uh, huge day of work. bunch of different things that we got done that day. There was a team, a small group of people working on building picnic tables, a couple of round ones, a couple of long ones. We had another team building a, a tiered garden right beside the pasture so that we can eventually have, a, we're going to put a couple of benches down there so people can just sit out and relax and, and put aside the world's concerns as their kids are, are being, um, you know, mentored and, and there at the ranch. Another team ripped out all the shrubs and whatever along the back fence with the schoolyard and put it in a wonderful gate uh, and fence. Another team was working on building uh, one of the shelters that's in our, our north paddock so the horses can um, get away from the elements and then over the last couple months, we've had Kyle Sanderson um, down with us from Pelham Park in Toronto um, working with us and for us. And uh, him and my dad and maybe a little bit of myself after work um, plowed through in about a three days, four days time, putting another horse shelter up um, on the opposite side out of the arena. And while he was there, we also put up a, a ranch gate um, for the entrance of, of our facility. Um, and special thanks, obviously, to Brother Sai and Brother Dennis um, for their donation of not just the materials, but of the manpower to do it. And just a quick update on, on our children's ministry. We're starting off small right now because we're still trying to get the facility up, up to shape to be able to handle more, more kids and more crowds. Um, but we have a young little guy that started back in October, November of last year, six years old at the time. Um, his His... Mother and father were divorced. He was getting bounced back and forth. His mother worked shift work. So every two weeks, he, or for two weeks straight, he would never see her during the week um, because he was on afternoon shift. And he was just acting out in all kinds of ways. Um, and when he came to the ranch, he was a rowdy little guy that was constantly bouncing off walls and very aggressive. Um, and so every week he would come out for usually about an hour and a half, a couple hours, and we would work with the horses and, and educate him on, on how to take care of them and how to take care of an animal. And actually, since then, he's got his own little dog now that uh, he's taking care of. And, and it's just been incredible to hear the comments back from the, teach, from, from the teachers through his mom and through his mom of what a difference this little guy is. I mean, he's respectful. He's quiet. He comes to the ranch, and he's right away, okay, well, what do we need to do? Okay, let's do this. And um, it's just been incredible to, to really watch him grow and, and mature into and to have some stability into his life um, that he didn't have. As far as future work team projects, um, we've started putting in the fence posts for the second pasture so we can take on a couple other rescue horses. Um, those big beams that you see in the center are from the barn. They're 12 by 12, about 16, 18 feet long. Uh, we'd like to use those to build a pavilion right off of the, the garage so that we can, it's about 30 by 24, um, so that we can start taking on some work team, some, some children from the, the Children's Aid Society, they like to come out and do some workshops um, at the ranch and things like that. So 
an area that we can kind of stay out from the heat and, and still be able to, to be outside. Um, and the brick that was behind the barn that some of the work team had piled up in front, we're going to use to do the floor of the, of the pavilion. So we'll need some help on those that have some experience in, in brick laying. Um, and then continuing the steps around that tiered garden. Um, so as far as our current needs, we've submitted all our information to a, a, a group that helps uh, Christian charities put together their application for charitable status. They have all of our information, so um, they're just compiling it and, and will be submitting it for us. Um, but we really need prayer that the CRA would, would uh, accept it. There's been other organizations similar to ours that have, have tried to do it on their own and have not been successful, so we could really use the prayers there. Um, obviously praying for our ministries as they would continue to grow, both youth and adult um, wisdom and guidance, obviously from God as we do that, and safety for our participants um, as they're out at the ranch. Um, and then Lord willing, God willing, we'll, we'll have a, a grand opening in the fall, which we'll invite everybody to if, uh, if you're in the area or want to come for the weekend. And obviously just that, that any financial needs that God has continued to meet every time we need something, um, but that they would continue to be met and, and that funding, funding for the current projects uh, would be, would be met. Let me cue up a video. share a little bit of the opportunities that um, we have at CLM for uh, especially the youth. Um, if you're maybe graduating from high school, going into college, you have maybe a short period of time uh, where you're free. 
Uh, we'd love to have you at CLM to work in our short term program. You don't have to speak Portuguese. Um, you can come down if you're staying for, uh, you can stay up to six months on a short term visa. Um, uh, excuse me. Um, except the six months on a, on a tourist visa, and uh, you can help us out with the kids. There's a, a lot of things you can do even without speaking the language. And if you do stay uh, for six months, we'll even help you um, uh, in, uh, with the language. Sorry. Um, we recently, uh, excuse me, I'm uh, a little nervous. Um, When I learned Portuguese, I'd hoped to become bilingual, but in the end I found out that now I, I, I'm semi-lingual. Um, so, just trying to clear my thoughts. Um, okay. In October, Amanda and I, as we stated in the video, moved to Turvo to help reopen the orphanage there. There was a lot of maintenance work that needed to be done. Um, and uh, in November, we received a team um, uh, of brothers that came down uh, that helped us finish the apartment that we'd move into. Um, it was, we were very thankful for them. Without their help, we would not have been able to move into our apartment um, before we took on kids. We got kids from Entry Hios, the orphanage Entry Hios, moved over to um, CLM Turbo in December. And since then, we've been developing our ministry. We've been um, training new missionaries. Uh, we've been kept pretty busy with the kids. Right now, we have eight children. Uh, we've had a high of 15 just a few months ago. Um, with some of the legal changes that I referenced in the video, children are being moved through the system very quickly. Um, and um, in this forum this afternoon, which will be in the campus center, room 105, at 2 o'clock, I'll be discussing also some of the legal changes that have happened, uh, as I referenced in the video. We'll be coming up on some larger changes, especially in CLM Turbo, hope, possibly around December. And it's difficult to get into all the details as legal changes um, they're kind of somewhat difficult to explain in a short period of time. So if you're interested, or if you're interested in learning about coming down to Salem as a short-termer, uh, just uh, stop by our, our uh, forum this afternoon at 2 o'clock in the Campus Center, Room 105. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, I'm here to talk about the uh, Green Olive Tree Ministries, uh, the Freeman family in northeastern Brazil. Uh, the Freeman family is raising and training adopted and uh, foster children and uh, training them in the ways of the Lord. Uh, this family is very committed to seeing these children all the way through, um, having made the commitment to adopt uh, all of them that are in their foster care, and they're working through that process. Our family has had the privilege of visiting them um, again on a repeat visit for a month uh, just over this past Christmas, um, and so I wanted to share a few things uh, that we've experienced uh, while we were there. One of those was uh, helping them on the construction of, their, uh, of a dining hall that's in their discipleship and retreat center. So that's what they call the, the main ranch where they live. Um, they work with horses in a similar manner to uh, what Brother Mark was uh, talking about and interacting with the children, uh, with the horses, as well as all manner of um, farm work, uh, ranch work, and, and that sort of thing. The construction of the dining hall is just uh, the development uh, of that. And uh, the, the real blessing of being able to do that along with them, so this project was something that I was working along with their boys, just it was a real blessing to be able to work together and uh, you learn a lot about each other just working together, and it's always more fun to have, you know, another person there 
uh, working alongside uh, with you. Our girls worked along with the Freeman girls in refurbishing a chicken house project. They're in the process of slowly becoming um, a little bit more self-sufficient as far as food production, and so at that time they wanted to move in the area of raising chickens for a, a daily supply of eggs, as well as a periodic supply of meat. And uh, I read in a recent newsletter that they just recently reaped the, the benefit of that, having had um, a, a butchering of, I don't remember now how many chickens, was it 40 chickens or 30 or something like that, um, as well as a daily supply uh, of eggs. And again, the, the girls enjoyed uh, working together and cleaning up the yard, uh, redoing, putting in a new fence, um, as well as uh, a trip to the local town to actually buy the, the chicks. And uh, that, that was a, a real big deal um, to do that, to, to go into town and buy the chicks. They don't often have trips into town um, like that. Uh, in addition to the physical projects, we really just enjoyed being with the Freeman family. They appreciate fellowship, um, especially in a family-type setting. They're a large homeschooling family in which they raise and train their children, and so they like interaction with other families in that level and, and uh, just building friendships with other children is they see it as a, a real blessing uh, for their family. And so that provided opportunities for fellowship and encouragement in what they were doing. A couple of things that I want to point out from their newsletter that they recently sent out. Early in the spring, uh, they had a baptism of six more of, their, of the young people that they have been training. These were adopted uh, children that have grown to mature enough to give their lives to the Lord, and, and so they were baptized. And so that was certainly a real high point, just bringing children from um, a very ungodly influence at a young age and training them and raising them and demonstrating the Lord to them to the point that they also have chosen that for their own uh, path in life, uh, a real time of rejoicing for them. Another program that they are starting, what they call uh, Right Trail, uh, on the ranch. So in addition to the, the camps that they do, which they do mostly with the children from the school that they run in town, they run a, a mission school with about 70 or so uh, children, and that is really their touch point into the community, into the families of the community through this school, uh, training them in the ways of the gospel encapsulated into their education. Um, they believe that all learning and all knowledge comes from God and is an extension of God's creation. And to learn about things that God has created is part of the wonder of learning about the Creator. And they, they intertwine that as much as they can in their approach to educating the children. But sitting in a classroom is not enough. And so they bring them to the Discipleship Center for camps. So they'll do this in various combinations, one class at a time for a weekend. Um, they'll do family camps with the parents of the children. They'll do father-son camps, uh, mother-daughter camps, uh, training and reaching the parents um, at the same time in, in a more daily living kind of uh, arrangement, doing special activities. So a, pro a program that they're going to start that's somewhat new, they call Right Trail, which is a camp idea, but in a much more focused direction with just two or three uh, targeted children that might be a little more troubled uh, from the school. And uh, Ben and Stephanie uh, Freeman uh, will plan to do this every other weekend um, in the, during the, the summertime, I believe it is. I don't know if they'll do it year-round, but um, 
And so they plan to start that, actually, in two days. So you can begin praying for that. This is the first time that uh, they plan to actually do that. Uh, and there's just a couple more photos of some of the activities that they do with the children, character building, things that stretch them, things that push them to certain limits that reveal the kind of character that's in them, which then they can work on, on training in the right way. I'm just going to scroll down down to the end here. Something that I want to talk a little bit about, some of the, uh, you can see the list there of their, the praises and the prayer needs. And uh, one of them that I want to point out was a particularly difficult challenge that they had um, in the last year was for their mission school. Through a sequence of unfortunate events at the end of last year in December, um, all four teachers that were hired um, are no longer with them. And so they had to quickly go through the process of hiring new teachers in time for their January restart, which they have done, but it's difficult because in training and teaching the teachers in the philosophy of education, which is centered around the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, most teachers that are hired are not thinking of education in those terms. And so um, that's been a real challenge uh, for them, and so I'm going to ask that you Certainly pray for them in that regard, as well as all of the things that um, we've been uh, talking about in regards to that. One final thing, um, and I just want to point out, there is a a CD project that has been made. Um, Our girls have developed a real close connection with the Freeman family, and so uh, together they have worked on making an instrumental CD that sort of promotes the uh, Green Olive Tree Freeman family cause, and that will be available uh, in the dining hall during during the lunchtime. So I had the privilege of actually traveling to uh, uh, Brazil to GOTM, CLM, and I was also in Paraguay. But one of the things at GOTM with Brent and Debbie, one of the difficulties uh, that they're facing right now is this picture here is, uh, is, is actually a picture of, of a wall that was starting to be built. And for one of the children that's in their care named Liano, um, he basically is um, he's a pretty violent child and has uh, ha- has mental problems and uh, um, and he's uh, when he's on his medication properly he's uh, he-, he does okay but uh, he can become very violent and uh, basically there's a lot of different institutions that have tried to um, keep him and uh, even using psychiatric care and different things. Nobody could handle him. So the judge basically said that uh, uh, he was originally in Brent and Debbie's care and that's where he needs to go. And, uh, and part, of the, uh, part of the criteria of him going back there is they had to build a, a separate shelter for him that he needs to be housed in and that... Uh, um, it needed a certain amount of yard space, and it needed a, a, a high concrete wall going around to contain him for during the night. And uh, it, it's it, it's quite a challenge. And I mean, to them, the first reaction is, "Well, how can that be just forced onto us?" And uh, but this particular judge is the same judge that has worked with them in 
every one of their cases up to this point and has been very lenient towards them to, uh, to assist them. So they knew that the judge really didn't have another option. But uh, so basically they turned the one workshop into, uh, into a housing, uh, uh, housing area, like an apartment for this particular, uh, particular child. And uh, um, I mean, uh, good thing that their one son, Ben, is a bricklayer. He's been doing a lot of the work. He does an excellent job. But uh, I mean, even, even this child's bed is made from concrete. I mean, he gets a mattress on top, but because he destroys absolutely everything. I mean, I was staying in a little apartment beside of where he was actually staying, and every window in the place is completely broken. Everything's broken. I mean, it's just he gets gets into these rages, and uh, so they need a lot of prayer support to um, to help them with uh, being able to manage this child while they have all their other children uh, that they're taking care of there as well. Good morning. My name is Tom Nitz. Uh, I had the privilege of leading the uh, work team to Kentucky just two weeks ago. And uh, you can see our team there. Um, the team consisted of myself, Thomas Jr., my son, Austin, my son, John Surian, Javin Surian, Catherine Sulia, Tammy Ursu, Diane Pohanka, Jessica Kryzan, Nicole Bielik, and Daniela Sipkar. And there's two that were originally on the team that uh, are not in the photo, uh, Sister Esther Mueller and her sister, uh, Judy Weinhardt from uh, Hamilton, Esther from Mansfield. Uh, they originally were on the team, but uh, just the week before uh, we left, um, uh, Paul had to have the operation, so they were not able to be with us. Just a background quickly of the uh, Galilean Children's Home. Um, they, as you can see on the sign, it says they were started in 1969, and uh, they originally started. It was originally started by Jerry and Sandy Tucker. Uh, I don't have a photo of Jerry um, or Sandy anymore. Uh, he's a, a man in his 70s, big, long, white beard, nice fellow. And uh, when they first married, they couldn't have children, and she had such a passion for children. And so um, through certain circumstances, uh, the uh, children's authorities in Michigan uh, brought, uh, gave them an opportunity to adopt some uh, children from a family, and, and it just started progressing from there. They had two of their own daughters eventually, and uh, over time, uh, they became known in their community uh, in Michigan, and then now also in Kentucky, as people who, and I think it even says there, um, oh, it doesn't say on the sign here, but they just couldn't say no. There's always room for one more person. Um, she had such a heart, and he, uh, for uh, ministering to uh, disadvantaged, handicapped uh, youth. Um, some of the, the buildings on the facility there that we see, um, at, the facility started as one small log home. And then as need would uh, present, they would continually build more and more and more. And, and much of what you see here is uh, on the, on the uh, left there, Mary Martha House. That's where they uh, house all the volunteer staff. They, have, they give opportunities for as short as three months for, a volunteer, for young women to come in and volunteer uh, with the running of the home. 
They have a ministry called the Bread of Life Cafe uh, that is uh, meant to um, support the home. They also have a gift shop in there. Uh, On the bottom left, you see the Galilean Christian Academy. Uh, That was uh, established to uh, allow them to educate their children and children from the uh, community, obviously a Christian um, school. And then on the bottom right there, you see a house uh, called Butchie House. That was donated by parents of one of the children who ended up uh, living there. You also have uh, a building here called Joseph's Storehouse, uh, and its purpose is strictly to store the uh, grocery goods and items that are donated over the course of a year because they don't come in on a, a weekly, regular basis. Some will come uh, a truckload at a time, so they need the facilities, and they have walk-in freezers there. And uh, there are some uh, groups that will uh, do great fundraising drives and then take all that money and purchase uh, food items that are necessary for the running of the home. It's, it's a rather large home. I, I, I should have got the numbers, the current numbers, but there's many kids that are in there, uh, and it takes upwards of, I'm going to say, almost $2 million a year to run this home. And so much of that cost is, it comes in the form of, or much of the needs are supplied by uh, donations. Um, many of the homes uh, on the, uh, the facility there have been built by our sister church. Um, they've been very active there in the past, and they have uh, spent the time and raised the funds and then also supplied the manpower to come and, and build these uh, facilities for the home. This, this one here in particular is called uh, the Angel House, and it houses the Born Free Ministries. And, and this is a ministry that they offer to uh, young women who are finding themselves imprisoned but have small children. And, and uh, they don't have many options. They can either uh, hand the child over for care to their families, which are oftentimes very dysfunctional, so that's not always a good option. Uh, another option would be to hand it over to the state, and I don't know if they can get them back after that. I think the bar or the the um, standard that they have to uh, then present after they've come out of prison is very high, and I don't know if they always get their children back. So Jerry and Sandy, recognizing this need and being approached, provided now a home where they will take the children in while the, the parent is in, and it's almost always a, a single parent, a single mom, while she's in prison, uh, they will care for this child. And once a week, uh, they will take the babies to the prison and allow the moms time to have, uh, spend some time with their children to keep that connection. And then as the moms come out of prison, they, the children are returned then. Unfortunately, not every mom, it used to be that they would wait for the mom to come and retrieve the children and there are about four or five children who live at the home permanently because their moms just never came back. It's a very, very uh, sad uh, reality that, uh, you know, even though these women are being imprisoned, they, they're past, you know, the children that they bring with them, uh, they, they need to be cared for. So this is the angel house. And here you can see uh, some of the, uh, the photos of the angel house. It's set up for up to 40 children. I believe currently there's just slightly under 20 there. And we are not allowed to know their names or their ages, but uh, this one I believe that uh, Jessica's holding was uh, three days old when she arrived at the home. The Blessing House, um, 
This is a medical ward that's on the home, uh, on the home property there, and it uh, houses um, some of the handicapped children there. And, and this is a place of heartbreak. I go in there, and, and I think this is the most challenging house for anybody to enter when they first come to uh, the Galilean Children's Home because there you meet the most broken bodies and the most unlovable uh, people in the most unlovable form that you can imagine. It is so awkward. When I first went there, I was just so terrified of being with these people, not because they were scary, but because it was just so out of my comfort zone. And as the week progressed, the first time I went, and this was in 2008, uh, I, I learned that the blessing house almost always applies to the people who are coming in to visit. This is a house of blessings. It is the place where I love to go now every time I go back there. Um, Amy, she's, you see her on the top right, um, microcephalac, I think it's called. Her, her skull was too uh, small for her brain. She came originally, uh, and she was a mobile and walking about, but now she's uh, confined to the bed or to a wheelchair, always having to be at a certain angle. And yet, she's such a precious person. Uh, I spend as much time as I can with her. And although she cannot speak, she knows uh, uh, some primitive sign language, and she loves her Christian music. And I, I, I am, I'm almost at a loss for words with uh, what God shows me about himself when I go to a place like this. Um, I, I think almost everybody who comes on the, on the work, uh, work trip with us struggles with this place because you have people who are drooling excessively. You have gnarled and broken bodies and you don't know where to touch a person and they long so much to be touched and you don't know um, how to interact with them. And you don't see him on here, but there's a, a young man there uh, named Lance and he loves singing and he just lights up and he... He's, he's all gnarled and his knees and everything, just all bent up, but his face just lights up when, when the girls would always come and sing, Jesus loves me. Rosie, there up on the top left, uh, she, she's such an entertainer and she comes running out at full speed and she'll just hug you and attack you. Uh, George on the bottom, oh, actually there is a picture of Lance there on the bottom right, he's in the blue shirt. Uh, you see his hands are all crooked, and, and yet he's such a beautiful person. George on the, the, the bottom right there as well, he is, uh, he's such a, a beautiful person as well, and I, I'm so blessed to be able to know somebody like him. Uh, as, as the mission board, we've been going down there um, since the August of 2008 was our first trip down there, and we've been going every summer since then and uh, in between as well. Whenever there's a group that was willing to go and had the time, they would always receive us. There's some more photos in uh, Blessing House. Uh, we went down there on the uh, June 30th, so we were there for Canada Day. So we were proudly displaying our uh, Canadian shirts. Um, one of the big parts of our team this year, and, and I... Maybe I'll just back up quickly. Our team consisted of five guys and uh, I don't know how many girls. A few, six girls, I think it was. Seven girls, I can't remember. Anyways, they're here. Uh, when I, when I, we put out the advertisement for the team, um, it was a construction team. 
and I started getting all these adver uh, all these applications from ladies. And I'm thinking, okay, that's good. You know, we always need the ladies down there because they separate us and they get the ladies doing some stuff. And then it just kept growing and growing and growing. I'm like, Lord, <laughs> we have to do some construction here too. And uh, he reminded me, I'm the leader of this team, not you, Thomas. And, and I'm amazed at how every time, I, I've never had to uh, ask somebody to not come or I've never handpicked a, a team, but he always custom customizes his team for exactly what we need. The, the cook on the, the site there, um, due to um, an illness, she had to have a leg amputated. She no longer works there. And so there's a whole bunch of people that need food. And it's a real struggle for the staff to have to uh, go and always uh, prepare food. And our ladies were busy almost the entire time preparing food. It was a, a wonderful week for everybody because they were able to get some good home cooking again. Um, it was very much appreciated. Ladies did a fantastic job. They were up at five every morning doing that. This, this, uh, these slides here presented a real challenge for me because there was only five of us guys and we had a construction project that we wanted to do. They came to me Monday morning and they said, all right, Tom, we need one of you guys, meaning John Syrian my, or myself, to take Weldon around. And you can see Weldon on the uh, right side there. He, uh, has, he is autistic and he's deaf. Uh, he's addicted to coffee and he does not like um, uh, being told no. And they were short-staffed and they needed somebody to basically just walk around with him. And so, and, and yeah, he's also diabetic, so he couldn't have sugar. And he's always going for the sugar, and he's always going for coffee. And so they asked, they said, we need a guy. And I'm like, I'm struggling so much with this. We only have five of us, and you're taking the only other adult that I have on this construction crew. And they reminded us, and they reminded us before, and I had to hear it again, that you're not down here to accomplish, you know, this construction work. That's part of what you're down here for. But... Don't feel that your week will be a waste if you don't get X amount of work done. Um, let God work with, you know, let him show you what he needs done. And this, this was such a challenge for me because I, I'm, I'm in this mode of accomplishing. And God again reminded me that he's in control. This is his team. Um, John faithfully, I'm so thankful for him, he took Weldon um, every day. And, and he took him from after breakfast till just before dinner, and uh, he eventually rode him around on this utility vehicle. Not this one. They actually broke this one. They blew up the motor, and so then they had a smaller one. They had a smaller one that he cruised for miles and miles and miles in the hills of Kentucky, and Weldon, when he's on the back of that machine, he just absolutely loves it. He's content, and John took that, and he just, he glorified God in his actions. I'm just so amazed, and and I know John was uh, greatly affected by that. Uh, Catherine, uh, the other person in there is Gabe. Um, he needed care as well. And uh, Catherine and John, the first day, took him out. But Weldon, when they got stuck in the river, they eventually had to uh, He hurt Catherine's finger so she couldn't help out. Okay, we're going to wrap it up. All right, let's carry on. Okay, this is the construction work that we did. We ended up having to, we purchased windows and replaced them. Um, they want to rebuild this facility and reclad it. Um, so uh, we did some roof work there. Uh, we um, took off this old wood siding. We're going to put new wood siding on. And there's a large group coming in from Shiloh, Pennsylvania, a Mennonite group. And so we went ahead and tried to make as much ready as we could. That was when we left. That was the picture of what we had accomplished. So now they're going to come in and they're just going to put the siding on, finish all the windows.
This was an awareness dinner where they, they assigned us a handicap so that we could appreciate what it meant to be uh, handicapped. Um, rag rugs. This is uh, this lady here on the bottom right. She is blind, but she puts together these rugs and they sell them at a quilt auction every fall. And Catherine ended up uh, spending a lot of time with her assembling the supplies for that. These are just some shots of us at dinner, and there's a chapel where we had our meetings every morning. Again, some kitchen shots. This is Abdul. He, you can see he has no hands. Uh, he's from Afghanistan, and I believe uh, he was working on a bomb in a factory, blew both his hands up. He came to the home for surgery and, and for help and for care, and uh, uh, now he lives there. You can see in his car, maybe you cannot see it, but he has like a little socket on the steering wheel to steer his uh, car around, and he's currently trying to get his family there. Very soon they will come to join him. And finally, that's our call to come back. Uh, in the fall, we have a quilt auction that happens, and this is uh, something where they have donations come from all over uh, America of quilts that they sell, and then the funds go towards the home. We will be sending another team down at that time. That will be the second the quilt auction that happens the second Friday of October. So um, we haven't put the advertisement out for it, but I would like to also welcome all of our American brethren to join us. Uh, heretofore, it's only been the Canadian churches that have been down there but I please would welcome you to come and join us. Thank you. I'm Rod Cook, and uh, the foundation sponsored a project of Par work team project of Paraguay um, last December, and uh, Lucas uh, Kittleberger from Syracuse, New York, and uh, Sarah Morowski from Beverly Hills were part of the team, and they're going to talk about some of the things that they did on the project. I will talk about the work that we did on down there, I promise, but I was approached at dinner yesterday and asked to speak, and I was racking my brain trying to figure out what to say and how to say it, and during Inspiration Hour last night, Brother Gibb mentioned I was thinking over things in my head, and a, one line that he said stuck with me, and he said it was God's timing, and I realized in that moment that I wanted to spend a little bit of my time today talking about how I ended up as the only non New Yorker on a work crew going down to Paraguay. And it actually started in a car ride coming back from Brunswick last October. A friend of mine and I were chit-chatting in the car and out of the blue she turns to me and she goes, I want to go on a missions trip. And I went, okay. She goes, no, 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 like seriously, we need to go on a missions trip. And that was it. That was the spark that started me going down there. And I was at a position in my life at the time where I had the time to go, but I was unemployed. And I couldn't figure out how I was going to come up with this money to go down to Paraguay. And so I went to my home church and I asked them for help and support, not just prayer support, but financial support and sending me as well. And my church came back down to the penny, the exact cost of my flight. And if I had any doubts prior to that, that I was supposed to go, they were all cast aside at that moment. Um, so that's how I ended up going down to Paraguay. 
And this is a picture of the school, which is attached to the church. And we had a couple of days where we were all working at the school together. And then the guys went and they worked on the basketball, which Lucas will talk about. And the girls stayed and we did painting. And I know it's hot here at Eastern Camp, but the hottest day down in Paraguay was 127 degrees. And we were inside a building painting. And the building had tiny windows, no air conditioning, and a fan that had two speeds, off and whatever it felt like giving you. (laughs) Sometimes that was incredibly fast, and sometimes it was barely moving. And we were painting. Um, So I've learned to appreciate this weather is beautiful to me. But this is another, the taller building that you see in the back there is the newest addition to the classroom. And that's where the ceilings are over nine feet tall. And we had to, by we, I mean these guys, had to stand on ladders to paint the top because we couldn't reach there. And I'd love to talk to you about that sometime, about what it was like to watch them. That's a picture of the church. And you'll see over to the left there, you can start to see like there's a drop in the ceiling and that's the school over there. And one of the amazing things, and we actually did this on the hottest day, they were wanting to go out and do an outreach to the community. And so we got together and we set up an assembly line and we were packing bags full of goodies and treats. And it took us about two days to pack all the bags. We had over 500 and then we spent an afternoon and I think it was another morning and we actually went out and we went door to door talking to people and delivering these and spreading the message because on Christmas Eve there was a big, the kids put on a huge program at the church and so we were spreading the news to everyone in the community to come. You see our building, you see us working, come and share the message and it was, to me this was one of like the biggest highlights was going out and yes it was incredibly hot but we got to talk to people in the community and share the message with them. And this is us in our assembly line, and these are all the blue bags that we were carrying around and passing out. And if you'll excuse me, I have lunch duty, so I'm going to be stepping out, but Lucas is going to be talking about the basketball. Uh, Good morning. One of the other projects that we were working on in Paraguay was uh, building basketball hoops. Um, uh, And we were building them at at this place called the Quinta. It's a house that the church owns. Um, And in the back they have a court that they use for soccer and volleyball. Um, And it's it's a really crucial part of their church because because there were several times throughout... uh, throughout the time that I was there when the whole church would gather at, um, at these courts and watch not only the kids, there was, uh, there was, there was some older people playing too, but like they would all just get together and watch sports, um, watch each other play. And um, they also rent this, uh, this court out for short periods of time to people in the community who want to um, who wanna come and play. Um, so a good addition to this was uh, basketball hoops. Um, and it's not just going out and buying some basketball hoops. 
because they don't do that. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we showed up one day and there was uh, two large pieces of metal and a couple pieces of angle iron and, uh, and two rims that we brought in suitcases. <laughs> um, uh, and we were told to make some basketball hoops. Um, so the, one of the dif most difficult parts was, uh, was being able to plan these things out and, uh, you know, a, uh, a regular basketball hoop, an official basketball hoop is 10 feet tall, the rim, and uh, if you've ever uh, met the cooks before, you know that uh, 9 feet 10 inches is not enough. So, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we were working with two of them, so... <laughs> um, so yeah, after, uh, after some careful planning um, and uh, trying to visualize what these were going to be like, uh, we started cutting, uh, cutting up the metal. We, uh, we had a welder that we used um, and uh, being able to reinforce these and making a plan for how they were going to look um, was, uh, was some stuff that we needed to work through. Um, they're very, they were very heavy. Um, so putting them up was difficult, and then bracing them for the cement to be able to dry. Um, and this is the finished product of one of them. Um, and, uh, you know, it's uh, basketball. I'm not at all a pro basketball player. I'm not even good at all. But, um, <laughs> but uh, basketball was maybe one of the sports that, uh, that I could beat the Paraguayans in because they had never seen one before. Um, uh, and, you know, Lord willing, I'd like to go back this year. And my, my fear is that uh, they're going to be way better than me when I go back. But, uh, yeah, then uh, here's some more uh, Paraguayans. But, uh, yeah. Um, Rod will finish up here. So anyone else who would be inspired to go back with Lucas this year, um, we plan to have another opportunity come the last couple weeks in December and the first couple weeks in January. Uh, so what we'd like to do is to continue work on building the dining room and the roof. And uh, I don't know if there'll be any more basketball hoops to put up, but uh, if, if we have the funds, we'd like to... Uh, would like to finish the, the dining room and uh, in preparation for putting classrooms on top of, on top of that, a second story, which they, they need additional classrooms. Uh, also, we're looking into uh, some potential projects in Brazil, but we don't have anything definite on that. And if you'd like more information, um, please, please contact me. See me at camp here, or there's my, my email address if you'd like to, to uh, contact me. So as far as uh, in Paraguay, I was also in, uh, in Paraguay, and uh, uh, since the, the team had been there, they also started in, a, uh, in another addition for a school building, and uh, this is uh, some, a couple pictures of the progress of it. Uh, it's basically uh, they got the bottom floor that they're building, and the, the concrete was poured. It was just recently poured for the top when I was there or for the first floor. It's actually designed to be able to be up to four floors High, but uh, the plan is to only do uh, uh, two to three, depending on funding. They have enough funding to do uh, one floor right now. Um, one of the things that, uh, it's just a picture with me with some of the, uh, the children there, 
but uh, it's a sign in front of for the the church itself. Karen, uh, so Oscar and uh, Karen, I stayed at their place, and uh, the student there is actually a student that did uh, all the translating for English for me uh, while I was uh, there. Because one of the things that they did is the, they announced that the director of the uh, ACCMBC was coming down, and uh, so uh, they basically let the parents know from the, the parents of the children that we sponsor um, that uh, that I was coming down, they were going to give them the opportunity to uh, to see me in the evening. I had no idea this was planned, but uh, it was all of a sudden told. So, uh, and of course, uh, Oscar uh, took the opportunity to uh, to address these parents, uh, since uh, a lot of the parents don't hear the word of God being spoken. He took the opportunity, since they were coming together already, to uh, um, to also have uh, uh, have a sermon for them. Um, a picture of them uh, outside. One thing that I found very unique is the level of appreciation that these parents had is uh, incredible. I mean, for the amount of children that we sponsor through the Canadian Mission Board, um, I'm not sure if there was a single parent missing at that uh, meeting on the on the evening that they uh, they came out there. So with the uh, with the Canadian Mission Board, um, one of the uh, uh, things that we do a lot of is basically sponsoring of the of children and with uh, bursaries for uh, for schools, um, and uh, and that's kind of the the count of in 2011 for in Paraguay we supported 63 children, GOTM school uh, supporting 38 CLM. There's 13. At Napoleseno Boys Orphanage, there's 12, and at the GOTM home, there's 12. Zambia, Africa is uh, uh, one thing I want to talk about here uh, a little bit as well. Is uh, um, we uh, we just uh, had a team that was in uh, um, Zambia um, in February, March. Dennis, Diana. Delia, Nancy, Scott, Tina, and Kristen. It's the uh, picture of the uh, uh, of the team that that went. Um, they went down to finish doing some of the work that on the the first team that we had uh, go down in uh, August of 2011. Um, that I'll actually kind of have a bit of video on afterwards, but they went down to, to finish doing some of the plumbing work on the washrooms that we had started, and uh, Scott Weinhardt had uh, quite a task to work with uh, with as, minim- as many minimum tools as he could, and he had a whole lot of apprentices helping him all the time. <laughs> they they were pushing each other away uh, out of the way to, uh, to be giving him a hand. Uh, Kristen doing some uh, um, painting, and uh, so there was also the the, the lady in the middle. Uh, uh, her name is Marguerite. Uh, there was a, a couple there that spent about five months there after we had left with from building the washrooms to help there, and they were from the Netherlands. It was Yap and Marguerite. We find this guy working every once in a while. So 
So the children there in Zambia at the Harmony Community School, there's about 300 students. Many of them, they're orphans or vulnerable. Um, they can't afford the government schools. But at this particular school, there's no children that are turned away. Um, generally, you have to have shoes and a uniform and a few things and stuff. Um, but uh, they can come with no shoes. So the children are taught English at the school. Um, but a lot of teachers translate into their tribal language, Bemba, teach grade 1 to 7. They, uh, they require a 40% uh, uh, passing grade to allow them to go to the grade 8. Um, but uh, currently there are no community high schools. So they, in order to go to high school, they, they need to pay a tuition. It's a picture of the uh, existing school building that's, uh, that's there. Um, just a few of the pictures of is absolutely amazing how how happy these children are with with absolutely nothing. Diana and Delia spent a whole month there, and they were actually uh, helping to teach at the school. So one of the things they did uh, this time around again is uh, is basically try to feed a, a meal to the children there. A lot of these children, uh, it's uh, um, they may not even get one meal uh, one meal a day, and the school is not currently equipped to be able to uh, give them those meals. Um, so it's teachers. They're all volunteers. A lot of them are not qualified. Um, to be like as qualified teachers, but they're very willing to help for the community. Um, and now that the washrooms are operational, um, they're able to uh, <clears throat> to apply for uh, uh, government uh, subsidized qualified teachers, and that's currently underway. Picture of some of the teachers. Delia teaching in the class, Diana teaching in the class. They have a, a care and compassion program that they go and visit some of the families actually by their by their homes. Um, this is a picture of inside one of the typical home mud bricks. You can see there's there's no screens or windows or anything here and stuff. Uh, and with the amount of mosquitoes, that's that is an issue. That's why malaria is such a high problem there. Again, at uh, one of the people's uh, homes, but uh, you can see even the roof. Uh, what's actually holding the roof together? It's just tarps and tin and stones holding it, uh, holding it down just to just to keep it in place. Ziap. One of the guys from uh, the Netherlands that was uh, teaching in the in the class, they uh, teach a, a program called uh, Choose to Wait, um, and that's what he was teaching in the class there. So some of their uh, current and future needs, prayer is always number one, um, but uh, basically praying that the very basic needs of life are uh, that they can have these. Um, and uh, that's uh, just let you go through this video.
The only one thing that I want to still say is if you want to see your life change dramatically, just go on one mission trip.
and to which I say amen. I teach a lot of salespeople, and uh, one of the sayings I use is this. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. But you know, that's not what God wants us to do. I'm reminded of Brother uh, Mark's com- com- uh, comment today about calling and vocation. Answering the call of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he described it this way, and I think it's really appropriate. The passions and desires that God has given us where it meets the world's greatest needs. The world's greatest needs are, are not in a global context. It's in the needs that you see around you and that you respond to that make you God's children. And with that, let us bow in prayer. We are thankful, O Heavenly Father, first that Thou hast called us, that You have called us to work in Thy vineyard, and that You have raised Your children up to answer the call, to respond to the needs of others. To show that they indeed love their neighbor and that they have the compassion to work for the kingdom. Not for payment, not for results, but because. We love thee because thou hast first loved us. And so we ask, O Heavenly Father, that we would continue to answer the call wherever we see a need and to do what we are able to do and what thou dost give us to do. O Heavenly Father, but most important, that we respond, that we act, and that we take the opportunity, O Heavenly Father, to do whatever we can when we are called upon to do it. And for this, O Heavenly Father, we thank Thee. We thank Thee for the opportunities. We thank Thee that Thou dost inspire those to work in various programs and work on various work teams to further the kingdom and to invite others to come and follow you. For, O Holy Father, that indeed is what thou hast asked us to do. And so we are thankful. We're thankful, Lord, that many are answering the call. And we ask that those who are sitting in this room might find the same inspiration to do, to do what thou would want them to do, and to start today. In Jesus' name, amen.